You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Fixing a fractured locker room. That is the goal of John Tortorella. Can he do it for the Philadelphia Flyers? Let's break it down right now. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. It is episode 123 of Orange and Back Check. So glad you're with us. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff at O Backcheck on Twitter, at Orange and Backcheck Podcast on Instagram, Orange and Backcheck at gmail.com. If you have a question for us, and make sure you rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple. As always, it is great for the podcast, great for exposure. We appreciate it as always. And a guy who is counting down the days like I am. Scott Weinhardt, what's going on, brother? Well, counting down the days till I go to Denver. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to there the you city go. of champions. <laughs> <laughs> you know. By the way, I really gotta I, I say, you know, most people won't see this because you know we do this on video back and forth, and uh, you got this great aura around you right now. You're like I'm literally glowing. glowing, like yeah, you know, like you got that Rick James or whatever <laughs> that Charlie Murphy saw. Like I'm seeing it. Like you know what I mean? Like. You just got to be doing your hands now and and say, give it to me, baby. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) I I shifted the the recording location and I decided to go right where uh, my window is. So then we're recording early in the morning, quote unquote. Yeah. Some people. Oh, we are. I mean, hey, listen, this is good for us. It's uh, it's eight forty, not even eight forty five in the morning. And, you know, this is the time that we usually do that. So. You know, you're just glowing on this Sunday, this NFL football Sunday. It's back. It's great. And yeah, and it's but, an, an, an eagle, this one. It's a weird one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really weird. And you know, it's funny. Like, I, you know, I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. It's always strange how like week two, when the Eagles have a home game, it's like the hottest day of the year. Like, yeah. you, I like you know, I remember the Giants years ago, like they had like a 90 degree day and it's going to be like 90 degrees tomorrow and hot now. That's when the Eagles have their own opener. And last week it was beautiful. Yep. Uh, I'll be at the game tomorrow for the Vikings. And like I was looking at the weather late last night when we got home uh, from Bethlehem. And I swear I was anticipating like because it because it's hot in the day, but then yeah. it cools down in the, at night. So it's nice. And I'm like, oh, I'll get to bring a sweatshirt, like actually be hoodie season. And they were calling for like just under 80 degrees i'm like son of a bitch yeah like come on this yeah. isn't football weather yeah. it's even at night so and, uh, it's gonna the, be interesting last year when i went to thursday night football where they played the bucks like i mm-hmm. wore my randall jersey and i had the had my uh like my compression shirt and i got up there to the top and i'm in, I'm in jeans and i'm like damn i really did not dress appropriately for this it's way too hot for this like it's yeah. way too hot Way too hot. It's way too hot for football, and it's way too hot for hockey. Like yeah. even though they've laid down the ice, the ice is put down. The painting is done on the uh, on the at the Wells Fargo Center, and it's just cool to see because it's kind of like. I mean, it's a little different, but like when you start to see the leaves fall, you're like, oh, the winds of spring or, tra- or the winds of fall are coming in. Football season's coming in. Hockey season's coming in. This doesn't feel like that because it's so goddamn hot and yeah. it sucks. Um, 
But I didn't realize we had prospect games and I was catching up on highlights and all this good stuff, uh, trying to get a flow for how not just Tortorella is going to be coaching the season, uh, but you get Lappy because I'm sure he's being influenced in some capacity by uh, Tortorella. Absolutely. And it's just nice to see. Um some outstanding things that I saw were ju- was just Tyson Forrester. Uh, obviously, the team won uh, against the Rangers over, over the weekend, uh, most recently 5-1. And then Tyson Forrester scored a game winner in overtime. Uh, by the way, overtime, I get why they want to do it. But overtime in preseason is worse than anything in preseason of all sports, whether it's basketball, football. Like, it is meaningless to the 10th degree that I never thought possible. But Tyson Forrester thankfully finished it very quickly. Um, trying to address the the issue of a fractured locker room when you're also get, ushering in these prospects uh, seems to be the task at hand for Tortorella. We talked about it last week, how they're ready to turn the page. They want to move on. But, I mean, they they clearly know that they're in a fractured locker room, which is a good thing and a bad thing, especially when you're self-identifying and realizing that it has to change is a good thing. But also at the same time, there was no major changes like Tony D'Angelo was the big change. Obviously, John Tortorella was the big change. We talked about him being the big acquisition of the of the offseason this year. Like what? How realistic is it to fix a broken locker room in, in a season is, I guess, the question. Well, when you're not doing major roster turnover yet, it it, it depends because it, I, from what I see and what I've read up on and what I've looked around at fractured lock. I mean, it, this isn't anything new. He said this in his opening press conference that he felt that the locker room was fractured. and He really needs to get to know the people and 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 do all that stuff. And he's not going to, you know, jump to conclusions and, you know, had some of his classic tort lines in there. What I look at when I think fractured is that I don't think that the team holds itself accountable. I think they kind of let things go like yep. and that's fine. Like in, in, meaning that like, you know, like, hey, a guy misses a shot or like, for instance, when Joel Farabee like flubbed the shot last year and he went and he broke his stick in the, uh, the alleyway or something like that. Like, you know, he's frustrated. You know, guys are trying to like, hey, cool, cool, cool. Like, you know, sometimes when a guy's frustrated like that, you need to push him a little bit harder. To make sure that he gets the, you know, that has that determination to get that drive done. It's it's, it's a person to person thing, and he talks about not pushing some guys too hard, or he's pushed too some a guy's hard in the past. I think the the fracturing isn't that like they don't get along. Locker t- hockey locker rooms are very tight, but I think it's more that they don't hold themselves to accountable to be at the highest level that they need to be. Like for instance, like when Chris Pronger was here, and Chris Pronger. You know, like, you know, would push some of the players to really cross that threshold to be really, really elite. And, you know, he talked about it, I think, in was it, I think it might have been with on, a, on another podcast. He talked about it in an interview one time that when him and Claude Giroux got into it, like, I think that G didn't clear the zone or something against team. Pronger got hit in the hand. And he started yelling at, yelling at Giroux about it. And he's in the locker room. He's throbbing and. His hand's dropping in Pronger, and Giroux goes up to Pronger and says, hey, man, like, you know, next time, you know, I appreciate you, you know, just say something to me instead of yelling like that. And he goes, and he was telling him, like, basically, like, well, the next time just clear the zone, we won't have that problem. Like, that sort of thing, like, pushing guys to be like, hey, look, I understand a mistake was made, but you got to make sure it's being right. And it just seems like I, if from what I've 
scene it's more or less like hey guys like you know like no big deal we'll you know we'll, we'll keep pushing we'll get through it now that no get there like make that play get yeah. that done. like that there's never been that additional push to get these guys to the level that that he believes and the team believes that they can be and i think that's where it gets fractured because the that's when they talk about accountability i think a player just from my perspective it would be a guy like T- Travis Konechny. Like, Travis Konechny the type of guy, player, where on ice, again, I don't know him personally and nothing along those lines, but on ice, you just see some of the players, you're like, dude, like, you know, you are you have enough skill where you can make better plays than that. But sometimes it just, he kind of forces it rather than has that determination to do that. And I think that's where he talks about where the fracturing comes in. It comes in. That That's my perspective on this. I think it's also just like, And look, you don't need a a captain in the room per se, like an official captain to know who the leaders of the locker room are. But look, as much as we love Drew, like he led by example, he wasn't a voice. He wasn't an in your face type of player. And I'm not saying and I'm or excuse me, I'm not saying that there is a player in the locker room today that is that. I think that is kind of being that void is actually being filled by Tortorella himself, which is a good and bad thing, depending on how you look at it. I actually just looked this up because I was curious. The Flyers are one of the youngest uh, rosters in the NHL. Their their average is about 27 years old, which is, I think, 22nd in the league. So they're on the bottom half of the league in terms of age. So it's this interesting dynamic because. I mean, go a couple back a couple years ago under the Hackstall Hextall era, like you brought in a young coach that tried to usher in youth and it completely failed and it blew up in your face. And then you got AV and that blew up after a year of relative success of what it seemed, but it kind of like wore on you. So it's an interesting dynamic of what your point is about finding the guy in Tortorella that is not just pushing a guy, uh, that he knows in Cam Atkinson, but he's also going to be start pushing these guys that are young. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think this is a huge benefit to ushering in a new era of Flyers hockey or not even a new era. Getting back to the roots of Flyers hockey, which is what the fans have been looking for. Look, I'm not saying we're going back to the days of Broad Street bully hockey and all that crap, because it is crap in 2022 compared to 1974, 75, when he won the cup originally. Right. Brodsky bully hockey doesn't work in this, but tough and physical or excuse me, mentally tough hockey is where the toughness is today in the NHL. It's not about banging the body uh, 75 to 100 times a game or whatever the hell the, the metric is, but ushering in these young guys under the tutelage of Tortorella is something that I think they haven't seen before, not obviously because of the name, but because of the coaching style. It's completely different of what we've experienced, and it's kind of why I've bought myself into wrapping my head around the Tortorella era because it's just something that they need. Immediately from, you touched on it, that opening press conference when he said, this locker room is fractured. Like, I have to fix this. They need to know how to, not just accountability on how to, who has to play playing without the puck, but also just the just the basics of who is a leader in the locker room. And I think he's going to lean heavily on a guy like Kim Atkinson, who spoke earlier this week to the media and was talking about how this training camp is different than anything he's experienced as a flyer. Obviously, last year was his first year uh, under AV, so it's a little bit different. But the fact that they know it's different already is a big 
big stepping point. And it means that we're going to see a different team this year. Are they going to make the playoffs? I hope. I think they might, but I also wouldn't be shocked if they don't make the playoffs under the under this first year under Tortorella. Well, first of all, before I, you, you, I've already mentioned my playoff prediction a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I think this team is a playoff team, but when you talk about he, this, this is where the team concept comes in. <clears throat> Excuse me. the The team concept is probably the most important piece of of a hockey team. That's the first thing that you do when you coach is you you build the team. It's not about what they're doing on the ice. It's about making sure they understand what you do affects all other 19 guys in the locker room. So that's that's a huge, huge deal. So what you do affects 20 people in the entire locker room. So when you're talking about if you make a bad play and you make a turnover and you're not following the, the systems and stuff like that, that's that's where the first part of this team building is going to come in now. With that being said, I think they there already is a lot of buy-in on this, which is great because how many players have showed up and already have reported early for camp, like two weeks? So that's Here's an a interesting big deal. tidbit. Here's an interesting tidbit that I found out. Now, it's not a red flag like, oh, uh, they're not 100% in, but I can't remember if he was on The Fanatic or if he was speaking to reporters, but Tortorella basically said, I didn't explicitly force them to come because I can't, like it's against the rules, Mm -hmm. but I asked them, hey, can you show up early if you're available? Now, is that an indictment about like players feeling like, oh, I better show up? Maybe, but... The fact that he at least got them to show up before training camp is a good thing. But I think there is a tiny grain of salt when you hear that the head coach said, hey, if you can, please show up. It wasn't 100% voluntarily is what I'm saying. No, they, they still did it. But there's that little little bit there because they are trying to impress the coach that is now at the in the roster. I just I, want to add that add that little tidbit that I saw. I disagree with that 100%. I think that they know that they have a lot that it's going to be totally different this year. I think they know that they have expectations that people think that they're bottom of the barrel and they want to prove people wrong. I think it's more from an angle of if Tort says like like of course you can't force them to be there until training camp. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, hey, look, if you can report early, you're probably in your best interest to do it. You know, that would be really helpful. And the fact that here's this is why it's a bigger deal to me. Torts isn't able to do anything with the team at the moment. These guys are running everything on their own. These are open practices, basically, that they're running, yep. that they are voluntarily saying, you know what? I'm going to my camp and my conditioning two weeks early and what I, what I was doing and I want to go to camp now. Like that's a big deal. That's a big deal that the players would do that that early. That to me, that shows where okay, that's where the team concept is starting to be building. Hey, look, like this is like Cam Atkinson saying, like, yo, I don't think you realize how brutal this camp is going to be. You you might want to come early. Like it might something along those lines. Like guys knowing Cam Cam Atkinson called it already. It's good. They're preparing for a tiring camp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how they're going to be doing this. Well, you go back and you read the articles, like look at NHL.com and stuff. Like they talk about when when Torch was at the uh, the the Blue Jackets. Like you know that the the camps are going to be brutal. I mean, you know, you want a a two mile run in twelve minutes, which I run one mile twelve minutes. That's (laughs) someone's got a lot. Me, but you know, that's the thing is that they. It's not so much about the 
the conditioning per se, but the thing is that games are won lost late in the games. Like the third yeah. period is the le- is the worst time you can get um get, get get tired. Now think about it. When you watch the Flyers the last two seasons, two, three seasons, and they have back to backs, when do you notice that they kind of kind of you know lose the pedal? Between the end of the second and in the third period, they're yeah. absolutely brutal and they've lost a lot of games that way. When they had a one goal g- lead with it, with five minutes left in the third period, you kind of just knew like, oh, that tying goal is coming. Yeah, like you, that that yeah. tying goal and inevitable loss goal, losing yep. goal is coming their way, and it it felt like it did majority of the time. Correct. And again, that goes back to their conditioning, the, and the it wasn't turnovers. even back to back. It was just generic every night in and night out that they held a five, a one goal lead with five minutes to go in the game. Bad turnovers, everything. Like that. When you get tired, your brain gets tired. You try to take the yep. Easy play out like you know what I mean you don't realize it like yeah these guys are elite athletes but that's all that's when you're going against the elite athletes two days in a row and late in the games like yeah they can wear you down if your conditioning's not there like so coaches that emphasize conditioning in camp is absolutely huge so like they're gonna skate 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 and there might not be much puck work to be going and that's there's nothing wrong with that like you know you got to get the legs going you got to get the skating going you got to get it where late in the third period you're not gasping for air but the other team is and you have to outcondition them. I mean, that's, you know, I I don't understand why you wouldn't be that conditioned in the first place. You know, if you're you know, I think part of the issue is, is that over the past like decade or so, like because players are really, really ramping up their offseason training, they expect to come in shape at elite conditioning. But I don't think that's enough. I think coaches really have to push them to make sure they're at the level that they need them to be for that. And that's part of it. And I think this camp is um is is going to be interesting. And here and here's what Brandon Dubinsky said a couple of years ago back in for the camp in um and uh and Columbus. He goes, you know, your work in the offseason dictates what your testing scores are going to be. And beyond that, how you're going to look in practice. Everyone fears the test, but you shouldn't train for the test. You should train to be a hockey player and to be in elite condition. Do you see the mindset there? It's not about just to be good enough to get through camp and get through the season. You're training to be an elite player, the best you can be. That's a mindset that. Tortorella puts into these players and that's the mindset that this locker room needs because there's no reason with the talent on this roster if they're playing all at the top level that they're all capable of that they shouldn't be a playoff team and that's the point that's when I look at that mental side of that game that's where they need the work at that's where they're fractured it sounds like to me that they don't believe in themselves yep and that's what they need to do is to believe that they can be elite and that goes into the part about changing the culture. I mean, Cam Atkinson uh, wrote about or spoke about like just winning. Winning changes the culture of a locker room, expecting to win, not hoping to win, coming to play. Everyone knows you're coming to play. Um, it may not always be pretty. That's what changing the culture and accountability are about. The fans will recognize that. Look, I, I know that immediately an impact of John Terrell will change the locker room or change the culture. But this goes back to my criticisms of, of Chuck Fletcher and the front office saying we have to change the culture, but your biggest acquisitions is Delorier and Tony D'Angelo. Like that's not culture changing to me. Like if you wanted a real culture change, you pull the trigger and, and take the risk of a of a guy like Johnny Hockey, mm-hmm. like Johnny Gaudreau. Like that's something you can do. Who's ironically now in Columbus with with John Torello's, uh former team, but that's not really dictative of what's going to be what this team is going to look like, but like 
If you're talking about changing the culture, you have to recognize sometimes the culture is rotted from the inside out. Like it doesn't matter who the voice in the locker room is like at the end of the night, at the end of the day, at the end of the game, you're still performing as bad as you are because there's something rotten internally. It's not just external forces that have to change from AV, Hackstall, Hextall, Fletcher, whatever it may be. And if they don't recognize that, like, look, it, or will I again, will I be shocked if they start winning game one and all of a sudden they're playing tough, they're better at the rush and all that? No, I wouldn't be. But historically, culture starts from the locker room inside out. It's not outside in. Agreed. I don't disagree with you. And I I, I want to take your point. I don't think that changing players out is the answer to changing the culture. It's the mindset. Okay. Here's an example. Apples to oranges. Before I get into this, I know, but I got to throw it out there anyway. 2015. Uh Eagles. Chip Kelly. Okay. Generally the same roster that went into 2016. Of course, you're going to plug in Carson at quarterback. You're going to change the wide receiving core a little bit, you know, but generally you have the same core. 2017. You had the pieces. You build the foundation in 2016 and 2017. You had the pieces. You had like Chris Long. You had LeGarrette Blunt. And mm-hmm. what do you do? You go win the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm not saying that that's going to happen here with the Flyers that they're going to add a couple of players next season and do that. But here's yeah. here here's the point I'm trying to make. They built the foundation that they know that there was enough there and they could get going and they have something they could believe in. You have enough players in that core. You had like Brandon Graham. You had Malcolm Jenkins. You had uh, what's it called. Uh, who were your corners at the time? Uh, Jalen Mills. You had Darby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ronald Darby. Like, you know, you had all these guys. You had your offensive line, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Jason Peters. I'm making the point that your locker I mean, room for that run generally stayed the same. There I will are give some you that. Run. So I will give you that. And especially because I'm looking at the like, say they lay a good foundation, they be they're a fringe playoff team, they're a wild card team, whatever, whatever the result is for the Flyers this year. I mean here are just some of the names like I'm just going to uh, this is just name and only I'm not counting in age or what their cap it will be. But here are some of the free agents for 2023 that they could add like those Chris Longs of the world and, and the like Patrick Kane, Nathan McKinnon, Pasternak, JT Miller, Matthew Dumba, Vladimir Der- Tarasenko, Tristan Jari and Damon Sever- Severson. Like those yeah. are big names that you can go after down the line. Now, I'm not saying you dish out an eight year contract for a guy like Patrick Kane that's on the back end of his career. Like you're not going to do that. Right. But some of those names are pretty big that you can try and land. Yeah, it's it's out there. Like and, th- it, it, I understand what your what your point is from 2015 to 2017 and, for the Philadelphia Eagles and 2022 to 2024 for the for the Flyers. Here's the other piece. The other piece is the trade market. It gives you more flexibility to want to give up an asset like the 2024 first rounder to go and trade that for yep. a, a a player that is going to help you get over the top. And that's why you know for this season it's really building a culture of okay accountability, new coach here listen you're going to be surprised because at some point they might have the trade they might trade a big name here they might trade like a travis connecting they might trade ivan Provar. and people some people might be like oh my god why would they do that and then realize hey it's not working here like yeah that sort of thing this this building this culture now of accountability and a culture of making sure that players know that they are going to be expectations like you know and it's funny i think it was mike rupp on that angel network who said that 
don't expect the Flyers to have, and again, I'm not an analytics guy, but don't expect them to have great possession numbers, but expect them to be really, really responsible defensively. And that's what this team needs is that their biggest problem hasn't been they haven't been, they can't put the puck in the net. They have the, they have the ability up front to do it. The problem is, is that they have not played well on their own end. They have not transitioned out of their zone. They have not done anything responsible, playing responsible hockey to do that. So they're going to focus on that for the first probably up until Christmas. So expect low scoring games, expect defensive prepare at um, the defensive affairs, expect it where like eh, people are going to be like, you know, this team they're they're winning games but they're not that good. They're ironing the kinks out especially in the defensive zone. Once that happens, you start transitioning off the rust. You know your responsibilities more. You'll get some more guys and your your offense will start picking up. The rule in hockey, not the exception. The rule in, in hockey is Focus on defense first, and the offense will come later. Because I'll tell you what, it's a hell of a lot easier to win a game, you know, if you're smart defensively two to one, than it is to have that Travis shootout in five to four at the NHL level. And I saw your door yeah, open and, and, and see Mowgli walking in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you saw him. Man. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, to your point about Konechny and Tra- or, um, Travis Konechny and Provorov, both are have three years left, including this season, on their contracts. Like. It is not out of the realm of possibility. Like, look, I think these are both more players to be traded off-season 2023 than mid-season 2023. Uh, whenever the trade deadline is, it's usually February or early March. But, uh, like, I think the betting odds would go with Provorov because you have Sanheim coming up to who I believe is a free, he's a free agent. I can't remember mm. if he's an unrestricted or restricted, but he is performing much better on the whole than Provorov has over the last couple of seasons, at least the last season and a half, I would say. Mm-hmm. Provorov is this is the make or break moment for Provorov because you're going to start to like I wouldn't be shocked if you start hearing him being a healthy scratch. Like if he is not. <laughs> latching on to the Tortorella <laughs> mindset. Yeah. Like th- that's a realm of possibility <laughs> of hearing his name in the healthy scratch uh, column compared to uh, anyone else. Listen, and if there's anybody who's going to do it, it'd be torts. Like, do I yeah, expect that to I happen? Mean. No, I expect, I expect pro Rob to buy in, but man, I'd say, well, if that happens, that would be setting a hell of a, that. That's a, and some things like, Sometimes guys need to be put up there to learn and they need to watch in the press box to, to you know, to get to iron the kid, to iron shit out like that. Straight yep. up. That's how it is. Like you're you're saying, like, you're not playing well enough. You're not going to play. Listen, Tortorella does not come in here with anything like, oh, he's the best player. We have to do that. No, you just traded your best player late in the last season. You have to reset. This is the, you know, you talk about like the rebuild that they're, they've been doing the past couple seasons and people not really realizing it. This is fine tuning this. This is fine tuning it. This is finding the guys who are willing to step up and who are going to be core of this team going forward. And guys like, you know, you know, Sean Couturier could be there. He's already said Kevin Hayes. There's more there. You know you can get more out of Travis Connecty. Again, I want to put a caveat out of that because I'm not attacking Travis Connecty. Mm-hmm. He's still a younger guy. You know, he's still a younger guy, and he can just he needs to he needs to become a veteran at this point. He needs to be yeah. a veteran 
at this point and take a leadership role. Ivan Provorov's in the same boat. Like, you've been on the team for a long time. You need to step up and start being a leadership role and leading by example like that. You know, you need the guy, you need the, and the guys who have experience have been around. Like, honestly, Tony D'Angelo, he's been around, you know, for a little bit. So he needs to, he needs to, you know, take on a leadership role. Ryan Ellis, if he ever comes back. Rasmus Ristolainen, who's been through a lot of this in Buffalo, he needs to be a leader. And I'll tell you, one of the people don't realize he needs to start stepping up and be a leader, too, and take a leadership role is a guy like Carter Hart, because you, you're you the backbone. You, you got to You got to be that. And I'm sure he is already. But you got to be that, you know, these guys, Tortorella is basically going to teach them how to grow up, be a man and be a yeah. professional hockey player at the same time. And Hextall said this years ago, he's like, these are still young men who are learning how to be adults among professional hockey players. But these guys are old enough now and older enough where it's like, OK, let's cross that threshold to where you're a young hockey player, to where you're a veteran. Start acting like it. I'm pumped, man. I can't wait to see what this team does. I think that people are going to raise a lot of questions on a lot of red flags at first. But I'm telling you, everything that I see that Tortorella is going to do, I'm telling you, this will be a playoff team. And I I will eat crow if they or not. I will certainly <laughs> do it. I have no problem with that. Hold me accountable. But they, I believe this team is a playoff team. Uh, to close this thing out, like speaking of leadership changes, there was a major one, uh, thanks to the reports of uh, Anthony Sanfilippo over crossing broad. Um, this is going to I think this is going to bring some ire when this is a, it's not official yet, but this is just reported by Sanfilippo. Valerie Camillo is expected to be promoted. Uh, let me get the title here. Sorry. To president and CEO of Comcast Spectacor Sports Entertainment and. She already has the title of our alternative governor, which is just like co-owner, I guess. Like that's the NHL did the exact same thing that the NBA did a couple years back where they changed the word owner to governor for whatever, whatever reason. I I don't want to get into it, but they, they did that. Basically, this sounds like this is the the makings of the inevitable of her replacing Dave Scott. Um, we've had our criticisms of Valerie. I think coming from Nat, uh, Washington with the whole natitude uh, thing while coinciding with their winning ways created this mantra that she uh, was more experienced or better at her job than w- what she actually was. Now, look, it's to her credit during the season ticket holder meeting. She was one of those people there. She's usually the public eye, uh, public face to the front office and the team recently that she was just up in Kensington, uh, breaking ground on an ice or a roller rink that they're creating with. And, uh, I think it was in coalition with Snyder. Hockey, was, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. For, for, that's Scanlon at Scanlon arena. Yep. So that's one of those things where she is kind of really listening and trying to make an, a concise effort to mending the relationship, the clearly broken relationship between um, fans and the team and the organization over the last couple of seasons. So I don't I mean, I'm indifferent. Like I like if she becomes the owner, the governor, whatever of this team. Great. Like whatever. Here's where if the team continues to be bad, you still need to say to yourself, we need to clean house. And the problem is, I don't know what the clean house is when Valerie Camilla is the owner. Dave Scott retires or whatever, takes a new position, like some cushy six figure job where he just sits in the background, breaking the money. 
Right. Like, it's just one of those things where, fine, promote from within. I'm fine with that. I'm a big advocate of that. But if at the same time, we're talking about an organization that is broken at the time that we're discussing this and they continue to be broken. It's still the same problem. It's just people with different titles. So that's where I that's where I'm landing with this. Well, here's okay, and I agree with you. I think that she's she's done a better thing. They've taken the she's taken the fan feedback and and, and implemented it. Like from the yep. you know from the the way that the the speakers how they were too loud at some point. Something even small details like that. I, I I'm indifferent about this move. It. it Here's 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 the overall take I have on this. Now we we went after them a little bit earlier this past season, but part of it is reaction because of how bad the team was doing and what they're doing on the business side and alienating the fans. I think that they're doing a, I don't want to say a great job, but I do give them a lot of credit for listening to the fans, for mm-hmm. making the change they need to make, for trying to do something different. I mean. Listen, part of the issue is really it's it's Philadelphia. Part of the issue is Philadelphia because the everybody's been hanging on to the Stanley Cups that were won almost fifty years ago. We haven't had anything to celebrate since, and yep. I and that and that's that's tough. That from a business standpoint, that is tough to really present to a crowd of millennials. I'm sorry, adults under forty. Millennials is derogatory <laughs> and Gen Z because they don't they weren't around for your right. part of Philadelphia is that Philadelphia likes to hang so much onto the past, which is fine. Yep. I mean, they're really in touch. We're, you know, this city, we're really in touch with our roots soon. That's part of it. But the problem is, is that at some point for business, for evolution, the way the league is changing, you have to change as well. The broad yeah. bullies will never happen again. It was a great time when it happened. The Legion of Doom won't happen again. You're not going to get you know, a player like, it's like Eric Lindros, John LeClaire, Michael Remberg. You're not going to get that type of hockey again. And I think the issue is, is that people look at that and say, oh, we're going to go back. Those were the good old days. Those are the good old days because they capitalized in the right eras. It's yes. different now. than business wise. It is literally, especially specifically for Valerie, Dave Scott, Chuck Fletcher with the Philadelphia Flyers. It is an impossible task to satisfy every fan. You can satisfy Correct. every Eagles fan. You can satisfy every Phillies fan to, I'm a, I should say every, majority, mm-hmm. the significant majority. The problem, it's an impossible task because, like you said, millennials, Gen Zers, and even some Xers, don't give a flying shit about 1974, 1975, Correct. or even 1997. Correct. Like those eras came and went. You have to focus on the future. You can live in the past and celebrate the past, but you can't hang your core values as an organization on those staples. That is the problem with the Flyers because it is an impossible task for Valerie because they did try and do that. I will give them that. They tried to do that, but they did it to a level that completely isolated everyone. So they actually conformed every, they brought everyone together for the wrong reasons. And now yeah. they're trying to reverse course and do a 180 on it. And they've, and, and as you said, from the minute details of the speakers being too loud, showing out of town scores on the score, on the jumbotron, all that stuff. Those are minute details that are making a concise effort to bring fans back together and, and bring the fan and bring crowds back in. The problem is 
it, it's I, I just go back to it's literally impossible because the right now, I mean, I don't have any marketing research on this, but the majority of fans still care more about remembering 74, 75 than looking to, hey, what's Ivan Prorov going to do tomorrow to in- improve this team? Correct. Or how's Carter Hart going to pan out in seven years or Correct. whatever the number is? Correct. Like that is the impossible task that they have to find. It is the ultimate finding work-life balance for Valerie Camilla, but it is past future balance basically to celebrating the Flyers, and it's literally impossible. So it's an impossible task at this point. And, and part of it too is because they suck. Like you know what I mean? Yes. Like they have not played well. Like they're 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 really really bad. Like and people aren't buying into it now. Part of the problem is is like okay, nothing's perfect. And like I think as as people in Philadelphia, and this isn't a lecture. You can you can your opinion if you didn't like the way they do things. That's fine. This is just an observation. You know, like they pushed a lot of gritty. They, you know, the whole attitude thing. They they tried something different. Like, you know, they brought yeah. her on board. That's been successful there. Why wouldn't it be successful in uh in 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 here? And I think part of it too is that listen, people learn have to learn and they have to grow. Just because you take a position, a high level position in a company, doesn't mean you know everything. You have to learn and figure shit out along the way too. That's that's part. That's part of it. Um, yeah. But I think that coming in here with the natitude type deal and, you know, going to a more of a transient, trying to market to a more transient character, that's not Philadelphia. That's not. And on that, like pushing gritty all this time, all the time and stuff like that, like it got it got tiring after a while. Like, yeah, you the, like you, the other simple stuff that they will do. And this is not Valerie's. I I mean, she might sign off on every but the marketing team has to find a less gritty approach to marketing the flyers correct from we talked about it when we started attending games as as media members the first thing you see in the pump-up video or the intro video whatever you want to call it is gritty is gritty walking out through the tunnels of the west horror center you don't see a player for the first 45 seconds to a minute correct like you have to market the player correct whoever that is whether it's the mysterious white whale of Ryan Ellis, who we still have no idea if he actually exists, if it's Cam Atkinson, the future uh, captain, if it's Sean Couture, the longest, I think he's at this point, the longest tenured flyer. He is, uh, by, by he's far. He's got to be, by a long he's shot. He's one of the longest tenured athletes in Philadelphia, right? It's Jason Kelsey. Right. So, like, Graham, these, actually. you have to market these players. Like, those are the players. I, I get your again. It's that work life balance that Valerie and the marketing team and whoever that is in the room has to figure out is how do we appeal to the boomers and and Gen Zers? Or excuse me, the 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 late end Gen Xers that are all about seventy four, seventy five, and twenty or excuse me, 20, uh, 1997 and two thousand and four. At the same time as marketing the future is now. Like this yeah. is how yeah. we're trying to like. It, like last season was the hashtag bring it to broad on Twitter. We used it for all our promotion details and all that. It, it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if the, if if it's a simple like hashtag Philly tough. He, honestly, the future is now might be it because they're a young team. That's a really good tagline. Like if they can, they're going to market something along those lines. And again, it's just an impossible task because you are not winning. Mm-hmm. And to that, that goes to Cam Atkinson's point where the culture starts with winning. If the winning happens, the culture changes. Correct. And he's right. But correct. There's people a, will, will overlook this work. kind of stuff because they're winning. They're winning games like, yep. you know, and that's that's where I'm like, OK, you know what? Like it. 
I'm not saying that they do everything perfect. Like there's mm-hmm. complaints that they've kind of isolated the alumni and stuff like that, which I don't agree with. I think the alumni are a huge part of any organization. Well, goes, you need to push go, that, that more. Yes, but that goes to the Hall of Fame night for Tockett and Holmgren. Not just really that. Market not that. just yeah. that. The alumni the, in general. Yeah. The alumni in general, they've seemed to kind of isolate. You don't hear when players leave of too many players from the past being mentioned like they did before during the Snyder era. And I that's where I think that if you want to reel in those guys, they bring back more alumni. Then we'll have more nights where like Eric Lindros is in the building or John LeClaire or, you know, from from that era or, you know, have more things where Bobby Clark is involved. Bernie Perrant, you know, um, you know, the hammer, Dave Schultz, you know, even bring back guys from like the 80s. Like, you know, like uh, they get like Brian Propp involved or get him, um, you know, like um who else is in that era that was really good like you know like Lindros. some of the sudden I mean just bring back yeah. Lindros yeah and Lindros just is too. involved with the team so yeah and even like you know like I would even say like you know like start you know flaunting Briere a little bit more like you know from that era like you know yeah. Scott Hartnell just got his his uh well, uh, American I, citizenship congratulations to you Scotty like yeah. that's awesome like the, the, the alumni pieces with like Terry and like you know Bundy like he's he's another piece that like has been very vocal about how they've treated alumni and he's right because alumni what they do is that they are a connection to the community and they're also a connection to your fan base of old from saying, hey, remember the good old days? Yeah, I remember the good old days. Like, you know, all the old farts that you and I are like are turning into. So yeah. like that's that's <laughs> a big that's a big component to that. So you that way your younger fans who yeah, I don't know who, you know, uh, Chris Therian is, as Mike Emmerich used to call him in his first season of Therian. Um, but like, you know, like I, that, that that's the point is that the way the Gen Zers who are coming in and learning the game and, and, and trying to, you know, getting into this stuff and watching a losing franchise, it still has that connection there where I still try to do something different for the current product. And, and that's people. And that, and that goes back to my original point about Philadelphia is that stop hanging on to the past like. You know, I understand that we're, Philly is very, very deep rooted in the things that were great and we remember and we, we enjoy and we like what we like and we're pretty stubborn about it. And that's fine and all. But understand the business itself and things have to evolve. And the fact that the the Flyers were really progressive in hiring a woman in this higher role in the sports entertainment is, is actually a really big deal. And I really give him credit for that. And, and, and good for her. I mean, listen, let's be real. If I'm being perfectly honest here, you know, some people are like, oh, man, I got a woman running the team. Like, right. you know, there's not, yep. you know, not many as it used to be, but there's still some of that sentiment there. And that's probably where some of the hate comes from. That's not anything yep. here. It's been us. It's been, you know, constructive criticism. But they've taken steps to address that and thing. And I, and I really believe that. You know, th- this is this is not a bad thing, you know, because they, they, they have tried to do things to make sure that they could correct this thing going forward. But you're right. Winning fixes everything and all and everything was going to fly under the radar once they start getting those W's. And and to close out this, I, I think one of the other things that like can draw reconnection between fans and players is actually access to the locker room. If you if because of the pandemic, it completely screwed up and it, uh, the access to the players and media to to get what their thoughts are real time and all that stuff. Valerie was one of the leading charges. She penned an article and in, uh, in the hockey news, I believe, talking about how the NHL has to reopen the locker room to media members and to yeah. g- give access to players and, and, and the media yeah. for that in-depth discussion and quotes and, and real-time uh, reaction to a loss or a win, playoff, whatever the case may be. Like, I think Valerie recognizes that is a key marker for 
reconnecting the fans in Philadelphia to the team. Because if you were getting quotes and, and understanding from Cam Atkinson in real time and Carter Hart in real time, Anthony uh, 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 Delzato, Tony uh, Tony D'Angelo. There we mm-hmm. go. I don't know why I'm thinking of Delzato of all people. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like Michael Delzato. I think you're, Michael you're mixing Delzato. up. Yeah. Like mixing you know, a lot of things. I used up. to I don't do know that country music on. artists like Luke Aldean. Like, wait, wait, it's Jason <laughs> Aldean and Luke Bryan. Like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. So like, these are things that Valerie is actually like, she knows what will work in Philly. So I give her credit for that. And it, it's not a small thing that if Dave Scott does step down, it's not. It, it, and to clarify, this is not an immediate uh, thing that's going to happen. It sounds like Dave Scott's at least going through at least uh, this upcoming season before whatever the future holds. If Valerie becomes the first, it will be becomes the owner of the Flyers or the what again, whatever the title is, she'll be the first one in NHL history as a as a woman, which is a huge deal, correct? Um, and very big step forward for the NHL and the Flyers as a whole. So, the fact that she knows what will bring some connectivity to the flyers and fans again is a big deal yeah. like that. That's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. And it's a, it's a nice thing that she is at least an advocate for because they did open up the locker room for the, the media again. Like we'll hopefully if we're fortunate enough to be given access to the, to the flyers this year, we'll have access to the locker room to connect our fans and our listeners to the players Correct. directly, which Correct. is a huge, which is a huge effing deal. So yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that this is something that Valerie hangs her hat on. Like it's something to be proud of. And Correct. to, as she moves through this season, because again, to my point earlier, when we were initially opened this up, if it doesn't work out on the ice, it's not going to work out on the front office. And that's the top down. And you have to think of a new way to 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 bring in ownership. Like, I don't know what that entails in terms of uh, new players completely blown with the roster, Tortorella getting a bigger say, firing Chuck Fletcher, or just literally selling the team. I don't know what that entails, but Valerie, I think, at least knows that scenario exists. I just don't know what it means for her future if the team doesn't play well. Like, yeah. If there's no winning this season, then what happens? Like, that's really the question. Yeah, and I think that we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. I mean, and see what decides to happen. I mean, I think more or less comes down to the Comcast question would be more or less if the Sixers renew their deal or not with the, with the arena. I think that has more to do with it than anything else. Um, but we're years away from that. But I in here and I, I want to close out with this is that this is what really this is where I really have to give like Val Camillo credit and and in a sense of being progressive and being and being and, and listening. She understands that the season ticket holders are the consumers. And if they want something, regardless whether you agree or not, they're not going to be some stubborn like some businesses and be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. We're doing it this way because this is our business model. Like, no, like the people who give you money and keep the business going are saying, we don't like this. We want this. Hmm, yeah. OK, maybe I should listen to the people that give me money and and uh, then give the company money and 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 our our end consumer. Maybe our consumers, if they want something, why don't we give it to them? Because that's what they want. And that's going to keep the money flowing in. And, and that's what people don't realize. And at the end of the day, it is a business. Like, yeah, the hockey team is on the ice, but it's got to be supported somehow. And until that team gets better, you have to really listen to the smaller things that the fans want. 
in between the periods, all that stuff. No more the, you know, like, please, the season coming, please get rid of the screensaver bit. Please, uh, please. That's my request. Yeah. That's my request. Get rid of the There's you, no well, reason for it that for should 10 be the minutes. Question. Oh, God. What, what, what do we need to get rid of first? Gritty? Less gritty or the the entire screensaver bit between oh, the periods. Ten minutes of that in the between the second and third, you just you want to shoot yourself in the face. You know, like it's just it's terrible. Like it was it's fun awful. the first couple times, but you do it when there's like two minutes left, not ten. Like yeah. you can find content there. And I think that that's a big deal that's been voiced. And I really hope to see improvement on that in this season. So we'll we'll yeah. find out. It's going to be interesting. Mending broken locker rooms. That's really the theme of this. Like trying to figure out not just the the actual locker room with Tortorella, but Camilla's task of mending the relationship between fans and the players and the team as a whole. Mending that is going to be a daunting task. And it really just starts as Cam Atkinson did with winning. So you win, you bring the fans back. That is going to do it. Episode 123 of Orange and Backcheck. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel below wherever you listen. Hit that uh, subscribe button and shoot us an email, orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. How do you want to fix this roster? How do you fix the the the, the locker room? Give us your thoughts and, and feelings on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. Uh, excuse me, at backcheck at orangeandbackcheck on Instagram. All that is in the description below. We'll talk to you next time. Are you bipolar? No, I'm bi-winning. <laughs>